Hello and welcome finally to the very first episode of In Medias Mass. It's been a journey. Hi, I'm Alanis. Hi, I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. For our first episode, we felt like it was only right to go a little bit nerd mode and talk about one of our favorite things about new age mass media, multi-platform storytelling. It's not actually as nerdy as it sounds. Multi-platform storytelling, otherwise known as transmedia, is basically just a technique of telling a single story across multiple platforms. So you have different types of content across different media channels, and they all kind of come together to create one mega-narrative in synchronized fashion. Examples of media channels could be YouTube, social media profiles like Twitter, Instagram, blogs, websites. The key is that the singular narrative is developed through the combined use of the various platforms. You're not just changing the sizing of a YouTube video to optimize it on Instagram or Facebook or embedding it on Twitter. It's different kinds of content that fits into the whole narrative. Think of your media channels as the Avengers. They all come together. They assemble. They assemble to create the mega-narrative. That's actually a pretty good analogy. (laughs) So today, we'll be talking about two particular examples that we feel very passionate about, The Lizzie Bennet Diaries and Scum. So The Lizzie Bennet Diaries is a YouTube web series that ran from 2012 to 2013. It's an adaptation of Jane Austen's novel, Pride and Prejudice, in the format of a vlog by the character Lizzie Bennet. The story is told through the main channel for Lizzie, with spin-off channels that eventually developed based on the narrative progression. Aside from the YouTube channels where they posted the videos and vlogs, each character of the story had social media accounts, mainly on Twitter, for character interactions and in-depth story development, as well as fan interactions. So this series was huge on the internet. It was groundbreaking in that it was one of the first of its kind to have, you know, a narrative web series told this way. And it developed a very loyal and dedicated fan base. It was also the first YouTube series to be given an Emmy. They received the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Creative Achievement in Interactive Media. So this is a huge thing because in 2012, you know, traditional media was still very skeptical of new age media storytelling and skeptical of YouTube in general. So for them to be awarded in this way, meant that you know they were being allowed into this realm of mainstream traditional media already. Shifting gears a little bit, Scam is a teen drama TV slash web series um, produced by NRK from Norway. It ran from 2015 to 2017 in the total of four seasons. And the story basically follows a group of high school students in one of the richer neighborhoods in Oslo. Every season is told from the point of view of a different character, which means that the major storylines change per season as well. So, Scam was the first of its kind to use 
real-time snippet-based distribution format, which basically just meant that the episodes aren't initially released as full episodes. Uh, there are maybe like two to three minute scenes released in real time on the NRK website. So all of these clips compiled from the week are then put together and aired as an entire episode on the NRK TV channel. Aside from the different clips, you had screenshots of private messages that were released in real time on the website as well. And then every character had a social media account of some sort. And those, those were regularly updated and also could be interacted uh, by with most of the fans. This show received like ridiculous amounts of success and multiple awards throughout its four-season run. It was all word of mouth. There was basically no promo for it, but it still broke the NRK record for like most viewers for a TV pilot. And by season two, it was responsible for basically half of the channel's traffic. The show received so much success that it spawned multiple European and American remakes. And the snippet format was also used by a couple of the other shows produced by NRK, though none of them ever really reached the same level of success that SCOM did. Okay, so now that you have context, we're ready to delve into these shows a lot more. We're not going into this just as, you know, media students trying to sound smart by dissecting transmedia storytelling, but we're also going into this as genuine fans because the Lizzie Bennet Diaries and Scum are shows that we love and adore. And, you know, they have probably shaped how we look at new age storytelling. So this is your nerd mode alert. Everything from here on out is just going to get really, really nerdy. It's going to be fun, but just, you know, we never claimed to be cool people. (laughs) I guess the main pull of transmedia storytelling for me is how it kind of feels next level immersive. And I think what SCOM was able to do about it in particular was because its format was more snippets, it really felt like it was happening at the time that it's happening on screen. That's why it really felt real. Like these characters felt like they were real people to me. Right. And what I actually really like about those snippets is that they were titled by date and time. Oh, yeah. That was a thing, too. Like, didn't people make edits of themselves <laughs> with the date and time? The, the thing that was cool about that was um, if the scene was set at, let's say, Friday at 7.30 p.m., um, the clip would drop on the website at Friday at 7.30 p.m. So because they drop in real time, you get the feeling that you're just kind of watching a bunch of other people live their lives, which is so cool because it really feels like not necessarily that you are part of the story, but more of that the story is real and happening right now. It's like you're friends with them. They release not just videos, but also private messages, screenshots, social media posts, you feel as though you're part of their social circle. Like these are people that you see on your feed regularly. Yeah, so that's honestly like the main thing I loved about SCOM is just how it felt as if you were somehow sucked into that world. You may not necessarily be like a character in the story, but it does definitely feel like you're somewhere in the periphery of that. I remember reading about how it was a deliberate choice for the 
crew and you know the production not to introduce the actors yet it was more to protect the actors because they were teenagers at that time but because of this a lot of people watching it thought that it was a documentary because it does borrow a lot of that element of reality tv and reality tv stars since it's anchored to the idea of you know real time plus the idea of it being very like time based or time centric also helps the audience kind of like gives audiences something to look forward to because these clips were not scheduled like there were clips every friday at this time every monday at this time it wasn't that kind of thing right it wasn't expected like literally scenes could drop at 3 in the morning you had no clue if you were going to wait 20 minutes or 17 hours the hype wasn't oh the next episode is next friday the hype was when is this next clip going to drop and it's great because from like a production standpoint or from like a um from a creator standpoint that means your fans or your followers are excited 24/7 and that's great because they're thinking about it at any given time because they're waiting for something to drop but also as a viewer the anticipation really builds which makes the payoff well worth it the element of surprise if you will when things are released or even like what is going to be happening is just like it's magnified or which makes sort of your viewing experience a little bit more than a viewing experience it just kind of feels like i wouldn't say immersed it's just integrated into your life you're right integrated is actually the appropriate term because like we said you feel like you're friends with them and what they do reflect real life habits and actions like when something happens to your friends at 3 a.m. they will tell you at 3 a.m. as it happens and so the integration into your life as well as the you know building of anticipation all of this makes watching the story unfold a full on experience The Lizzie Bennet Diaries does this as well. It elevates watching into an experience, but it highlights a different aspect of it. I think the Lizzie Bennet Diaries cultivated a very particular fandom culture and fandom experience. For me, I think what's interesting with the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is that more so than scam, they were able to like really make the audience part of the story. I think that probably it's in part because of the format that you know um they're youtube vloggers essentially like the characters are youtube vloggers and like the youtube vlogging community and the fan base at that time was very very tight knit and it's always noted how youtube as a format allows for a closer connection between the creator and their audience this is what they held on to and what they used to defend themselves during this time when traditional media was still suspicious of YouTube and they had different methods of engaging with their audience with a lot of like vlogging formats there were you know Q&As there were just kind of like fan interactions challenges and so there were a lot of avenues for fans of vloggers or fans of video creators to be part of the videos that were being made and like that 
like the Lizzie Bennet Berries was no exception. Yeah, they really made use of that culture. They had Q&As, they acknowledged fan art on Tumblr. When video responses became a thing, they tried that. A very short, very buggy thing. Yeah, they didn't always work, but, you know, they did try to make use of the features and the avenues available to them to really involve the audience. Honestly, and I I think we'd both agree that, like, one of the major um, things that Lizzie Benetarius was able to pull off that we were super impressed with was the fact that they were able to do things at VidCon. Yes! That was so fun. I've always wanted to go to VidCon. Same. <laughs> anyway, so, because Lizzie in this world is a vlogger and, you know, a rising and popular vlogger at that, she was invited to VidCon. And she filmed videos of her life in VidCon. It was a part of the narrative. It introduced new characters and new conflicts. The fans that were there were able to experience the actors as the characters and saw the production as it happened. And that's a very special experience to have as a fan. Yeah, and like Lizzie Bennett came in to VidCon as Lizzie Bennett and not as Ashley Clements. It was such a complicated thing to pull off. I mean, obviously, probably helped by the fact that Hank Green, who was a producer of the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, is also basically in charge of VidCon. But the amount of production work that has to go into making that happen, making sure that, you know, the audiences treat Ashley Clements as specifically Lizzie Bennett. It's so complicated. There could be so many things that can go wrong at any given point. And the fact that they've managed to just create videos from that setup was actually so incredible. I remember reading from Bernie Sue's vlog. He's an executive producer as well. They were worried that it might feel gimmicky but for me, they were able to pull it off in a way that made sense because it was weaved into the story. For sure. And speaking of experience, I think collectively, um, one of the biggest fan experiences of like within watching the Lizzie Bennet Diaries was when characters were revealed. Oh, absolutely. Casting was a big thing. Pride and Prejudice is such a beloved novel. And these are iconic characters. And when they started airing the project, right, they made social media accounts for the characters. And as soon as these profiles were launched, they already started interacting with each other. But these social media profiles had no photos. They weren't posting photos yet. They had no profile photos. So you really did not know how they looked like. And the actors were only revealed when it made sense to introduce them to the vlogs themselves. And that's when they started having photos of their faces on their social media accounts. The best example of this was Darcy Day. I know. Mr. Darcy is probably one of the most well-known like male romantic protagonists ever. Like, of course, people would want to see how Mr. Darcy looks like. So I followed this series from the moment Hank announced it on Vlogbrothers. And I love Austin. Like, I love Pride and Prejudice. I love every adaptation of it. So I was one of those people that was just waiting and itching to see who will be playing Darcy. 
So at the end of an episode, there was a preview that Darcy was going to be in the next vlog, in the next episode. Like you could see his torso, but not his face. So it was a cliffhanger. And because of that, there was just a collective fandom meltdown. It was the fandom basically imploded. And at this time, I was basically seeing it from the outside looking in because I hadn't started the series by then. But like everyone knew it was Darcy Day. It was just such a big thing in our circle. And I just remember kind of seeing all of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries fans just kind of like freaking out like throughout that week. People were counting down to what was then called Darcy Day. Like there was a hashtag and everything. The moment Darcy came in to like the vlog world and he was introduced and it was just kind of perfect. Like that casting was such a perfect choice. Yes! Daniel Vincent Gord made a wonderful Darcy and was a wonderful addition to an already great cast. And that's just like such a fun experience to be a part of. I don't think I've ever had like a fan experience that comes close to that. Thinking about it now... Because there are a lot of tweets lately on my timeline about Pride and Prejudice. People have always loved it. It's just there's a resurgence of it now. People keep talking about it now. So can you imagine Darcy Day today? Oh my god. It would be like <laughs> trending worldwide. Like It would be chaos. <laughs> there would be 17 million fan cams. Oh my god, there would be fan cam edits of Daniel Gord. And like, oh my god, that would be so insane. <laughs> that would have been so funny. I think Speaking of social media, one other thing that the Lizzie Bennet Diaries was able to do so well, and that's something that, again, transmedia um, storytelling provides an avenue for, is to sort of, like, elevate the narrative by giving more depth to the storylines. The use of those spin-off channels sort of brought in so many, multi- like, so many perspectives happening all at once that gave you, like, a much more complete picture of the narrative, aside, you know, um, moving away from that singular point of view that you had with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bennett. And they did several spin-off channels, usually when the other non-Lizzie characters were separated from Lizzie, either physically or because of a conflict or both. The best example and the best use for it was Lydia's channel. How Lydia was portrayed is what sets this adaptation apart in the first place, I think. And so much of that good character arc and good character development was because we were able to see a foundation of her characterization be built through Lydia's own vlog. And we see her life outside of her sisters play out at the same time that Lizzie's main plotline did. Right. And Again, it's just, it's something that traditional media is, I mean, I wouldn't say traditional media is unable to do it because we have seen, you know, films and TV and books with like different points of view, like per chapter, per episode, you know, that does happen. But um, typically traditional media will kind of give you one character's point of view about something and then a different story with another character. But yeah, here, like a continuation. Of yeah, it. some sort of continuation. But here you're seeing the same story, the same literal like time 
in the story from different perspectives, which is great because that's such a rare thing to find in traditional media. And it just has so much more impact. Lydia's story arc took a heavier turn when she started developing a relationship with Wickham, who is, to put it nicely, um, scum of the earth. (laughs) And because she was in a conflict with Lizzie and is separated from her, you see her storyline develop via V Lizzie's storyline. And Lizzie at this time was in Pemberley falling in love with Darcy. So you watch Lydia like in pain and you want to protect her and you're like, Lydia, no. And then at the same time, in the same week, in the next episode, you see Lizzie and Darcy flirting and being happy and you're like, Lizzie, yes! So the juxtaposition stirs up so many emotions. And because you were able to see the foundation of Lizzie and Lydia as characters and also their relationship as sisters, it elevates the narrative by giving you depth and detail to the characters and conflicts. I think, you know, when we're talking about elevating narratives like there's not a lot of narrative to elevate if the narrative itself isn't great and it just so happens that you know both with the lizzie bennett diaries and scum they had excellent material to work with and so the format basically just highlighted how good it was and how well it was created like we've talked about this before but i could seriously i i wanted to write a thesis on like the production of scum and how many layers of like visual meaning they were able to kind of like jam pack into four seasons it was pretty incredible like from the visual um choices from like the cinematography and like the acting and like the production design and basically just like all of the devices they used to carry out these narratives were so very nuanced and so very well thought out my favorite example for that kind of thing it's like the one that immediately comes to mind is the scene in season three yes so i think anyone who has ever watched scum season three would know what scene we're talking about but let me set the stage a little bit so this scene is set at a house party and two people are staring at each other from across the room while they're dancing with their respective significant others while Robin's Call Your Girlfriend plays in the background. Oh my god, this scene. (laughs) You know how people joke about cutting the sexual tension with a knife? Like, you literally could do that in this scene. And, like, it was so strong, you needed a freaking machete. And it was so well shot. It was so well lit. The music was perfect. The costuming was perfect. It was just, there was so much in this scene that every time I see it, I am transported back to the first time I saw it. And I just like knew, like my heart suddenly was just like, oh, this is happening. Like this has to happen. I mean, you knew they were going to get together, but you didn't care as much until this scene. Yeah. And honestly, and the fact that the both of us agree that like this is the moment, people ship characters all the time. It's a totally cool thing. And if you kind of drop enough hints that they're going to end up together, you know, ships will form. 
But like to have that one solid moment that solidifies the ship in the eyes of literally everyone who watches it, that's good storytelling. And it's good visual storytelling because it's not telling, it's showing. Because there's no dialogue in this scene. The production on SCAM really highlights great narrative choices. They have a lot of what I call uh, patama dialogue where characters talk about a situation and the main character can relate to that situation. But, you know, their friends and their family and the people around them are actually oblivious to the conflicts that are happening to them internally. And that's a smart way of telling the story in an effective way that's also bite-sized. Because since the format is short, it's in snippets, it's not an HBO production that's an hour long, you don't have the luxury of time to expound and explore. They're instead able to characterize and further the story in small moments like that. These clips and these snippets are like, it's, it's a literal slice of life. It's so difficult to get characterization like down pat when you only have tidbits and you don't have a lot of time to like do your expositions and like introduce characters. Like you have to make them punchy and you have to make them stick. Exactly. And the visual metaphors are a great way to do that. It's almost a scam staple too. You see visual metaphors every season. There's Nura's lipstick in season two, Isak and his locker in season three, the black and white wardrobe in season four with Sana, which is one of my favorites. There's one frame. She's sitting at the head of the table, head to toe in black, surrounded by these girls. All of these girls have like their hair down and they're blonde and they're made up and everything. And like Sana is just like in a black hijab and like, Like, from one frame, you see how different she is visually, which reflects how different she feels around her peers, which is so good. And all of these are such a solid way to tell a story succinctly, which is smart. And it's also probably a workaround to the production limitations that they had. Similarly, the Lizzie Bennet Diaries also has a narrative device staple. And that's their use of costume theater. Since it's a vlog from the perspective of Lizzie, she has to, you know, recount events when she's telling a story that happened with other characters. And to do that, they role play as the characters. So you're seeing the actor, Ashley Clements, acting as Lizzie, who was role playing as another character, like, let's say, Lydia or... Jane and the levels of meta that is in that and they actually also have an episode on that called hypermediation in media you know you can write papers about it for sure I feel like there's so much going on in um the Lizzie Bennet Diaries and in Scum to be honest you have different forms of media you have different ways to tell the same story and because you have those avenues they sort of like all converge and because there are all of these kind of layers and all of these um, forms you get so much more depth and detail in your storytelling than you are going to be able to get with you when you stick to like the more traditional types of media 
Right. The different media channels allow you to define and understand the characters more because everyone uses social media or the internet or technology in general in different ways. So you get a peek into their inner workings. And it's not just the depth of character, but you get a deeper sense of the relationships between these people because you don't just see interactions on screen, but all sorts of other interactions. For example, again, with the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, when Lydia's arc with Wickham was going down, you know, it was a manipulative, toxic relationship. Right. It was very rare um, to have a toxic relationship on TV properly labeled as a toxic relationship. And there were interactions between Wickham and Lydia on Twitter, and also the vlogs themselves. And the fans were able to pick up on the toxicity that was present in the relationship. And fans actually, you know, would talk to Lydia and tweet at her, telling her to stay away and that, you know, Wickham was bad news. And she would reply on Twitter and she would also acknowledge these things on her blog. And that's just a different level of interacting, interacting with characters and interacting with the fans. That is incredible. And then on Scum, there's also the way Isak deals with internalized homophobia, which was very nuanced as well. What I found very, what I found particularly groundbreaking from a storytelling perspective with Scum is how um, the writers were able to really flesh out complex and interesting teenagers. Because quite frankly, teenagers in traditional media even up until now, are every just like, well, like it's, it's every weird stereotype old people can think of for teenagers. Right, whereas scum portrayed teenagers as teenagers. That they are on the brink of adulthood, but not quite there yet. You know, these were characters, these were teenagers that were capable of very mature choices and very childlike stupidity. Right. So with Isaac, he has a conversation with Eskild. Eskild is Eskild is basically just like um, this older guy who lives in Isaac's flat. He was like kind of a roommate, um, and he calls he calls himself a guru, which is true. He is, which is true, but also so adorable in how much he just wants to help this young little baby gay figure out his life. And for sure, this is also just a great example of um, how SCAM is able to discuss so many important issues in very true-to-life ways. I think with queer, with queer storylines on TV, there's so much tragedy or there's so much struggle in those portrayals. And it makes sense to an extent because, you know, a lot of people... A lot of queer people do struggle in real life because of who they are as people. But so rarely is the struggle of internalized homophobia dealt with with such like strength, but also compassion. It's basically just Eskild being able to tell him that what you're saying is very, very out of line, but it's not because you're a horrible person. Often, I think, in media, we don't see conflicts being resolved healthily and realistically. Mm -hmm. That you're allowed to not 
understand where someone is coming from and not have it ruin your entire relationship. You know, as long as you guys listen to each other and actually just like take the time to understand. What I particularly loved about this treatment is that Isaac actually apologizes off screen. He first apologizes in the group chat of the collective that they're there, like they're housing. And he's basically just like, I'm sorry I said what I said. I hope you don't like, I hope you don't hate me. And then Eskild is very chill and he's just like, no, I know you didn't mean it that way. Let's talk tomorrow. And, you know, those are things that if you had only been seeing the show, like the clips even, that is a detail that you're going to miss. And then you see the you see the next clip of them kind of talking normally again and then be like, hold up, what happened there? And that is what is so great about transmedia is that like there are different, the different formats contain different chunks of the story. And so taking one away would mean taking away from the entire story. And it's not just with Isak. We see this also with Vilda and her struggle with body issues. She's not really the main character in any of the seasons, but a lot of it is hinted at. She was very much a peripheral character in seasons one and two, but when you see her, she was either like exercising or like picking at her food. She was like weighing herself or taking measurements or talking about like this new diet she learned about on the internet. And those were, those are very small details that you kind of, that kind of like build up to this thing of like, oh, Vilda might have an eating disorder or like a body image issue. And it was so important for you to see the screenshots of the girl squad without Vilde, um, which was essentially them talking about the ways in which they could help her. And, you know, so not only do those like little images on the website give you a better idea of what's going on with like your side characters, it also shows you the depth of friendship that these people had with each other and how much they cared, despite not really being able to express it face-to-face. Right. And it's things like this that shows how transmedia storytelling becomes effective because it shortens your storytelling time but still makes it realistic. In the mass media like production world, there's a lot of talk about stories needing time to breathe and sort of like needing time to kind of get to where it has to go. But with transmedia storytelling, it cuts so much of the time in half using techniques that are much more effective. I would say it's a case-to-case basis. There's also, you know, stuff to be said about whether a show should feel real or not. But I think the important thing is that whatever technique you use, it should be aligned with your vision and it should tell the story the way you want it to. The format should lend itself to the story. Transmedia storytelling is a great technique for making a narrative engaging, immersive, fleshed out, and realistic. But it's also very, very, very difficult. Like you can imagine how difficult it already is to make a traditional production. What more when you have to add, you know, being basically a social media manager for several accounts and making these accounts distinct from each other. 
Exactly. And with like considering all of the characterizations, all of the backstories, all of the inside jokes, hearkening back to like what we said with Scam, it has to be so very well thought out and so very well, like very meticulously put together for it to have like even the slightest chance of working. Julianne then gave an interview where she said that they decided, like, they knew that they wanted to do more seasons, but they really decided to pull the plug because of the production stress. And that gives you an idea of just how much work goes into pulling something like this off. It became like a beast that was a little too much to handle. It takes so many factors. So many things need to be right. And the creators of uh, Lizzie Bennett say this too that you know the material has to be right the cast the crew the environment the timing the platform and you have to consider that before doing it there are a lot of hurdles because you know technology changes your platform now might not support your content in the future and that happened with um, lbd as well because you know twitter used to use third-party photo uploaders like Yfrog, and now the pictures are gone when you look at their profiles now. Plus, you know, after the show is done, new fans might be deterred from watching it because the experience is not the same. The experience of, like, the production of Scum and how crazy it became that they really had to call it quits because they knew that they wouldn't be giving audiences the story that they deserved if they kept going kind of begs the question of, should transmedia storytelling or should multi-platform storytelling become the norm for new media? And I think that the answer is in two parts. I think that transmedia storytelling is such an important narrative technique that we would, that, you know, the media industry or like us as media consumers could do more of. I think that there should be more transmedia content just because it opens up avenues to tell more interesting and more complex stories. I also, however, think that not all stories need to be told through transmedia storytelling. I think for me, in an ideal world, there is no clear norm. Having different choices about structure and techniques and methods and then trying them out to see what works, I think that's what's exciting about creating. But... I do think that when you find a story that you feel is worth pursuing through transmedia storytelling, why not go for it? And technology is used in so many different ways now anyway, that it would be great to see it integrated more in narratives like this. And we see so many bits and pieces already with Twitter AUs, you know, Twitter series were a thing for a while. The recent unconfined cinema Instagram story thing with Bea Alonso and John Lloyd Cruz. So I just hope, you know, that more people explore and invest time, money, energy into new ways of storytelling like this. It's really also just money, you know. I wish I had the money to do stuff like this. For me, I think it's just a matter of traditional media being more open to the use of new media technologies. Um, 
films, traditional films are great. Traditional move, like traditional TV, traditional books, traditional media in general is great. And there's a reason that we keep consuming it. But there is a reason why big media franchises now suddenly feel the need to have a social media presence. Like what I would really want to happen is for traditional media to kind of like more openly acknowledge that new media storytelling is a thing and to sort of like sort of like take little bits and pieces of that new media storytelling and inject it into the ways that they tell their stories and this is future talk and there are so many other questions that it can spawn but again i kind of just wish that you know stories like scum and the lizzie bennett diaries inspire more creators even years after which i guess it has because i mean we're still here talking about it now on um more personal note, I watched the Lizzie Bennett Diaries in third year high school, studying for college entrance exams, and I have very clear memories of using it as my brain break. And I know in my heart, I ended up in MassCom because of it. And like, I'm not joking, it's probably like in a journal somewhere. But if I ended up in Broadcom, I would have done my thesis on this. Funnily enough, um, I work in I work in media these days, and I have been very vocal in my work circle about producing more cross-platform content. And all of what I say, I know because of how I was able to experience come. I know that if I ever do further study, this my thesis is going to be about scum. Like that is I'm so sure that my thesis is going to be about how you are able to use new media technologies to create stories that are so resonant with people and to create like worlds that feel real. So yeah, you know, we are living examples of how great media and great content can really influence people in a lot of positive ways. And that's really all you can ask for as a creator too, you know, to have people see your art and engage with your art and be inspired by it. And at the end of the day, I hope that people find the ideas that they want to put out into the world and they find the right people to do that with. So if you guys have a little inkling a seed of an idea. I hope you are able to go out and make it like what we did with this podcast. And tell us so we can help you with it. So on that note, we would love to hear from you guys. Um, Have you seen these shows that we've been talking about? What did you think about them? Are there any other transmedia storytelling examples that you have in mind? Anything you want to wreck to us, please let us know and join the conversation at InMediasMess on Twitter. And I think that's it. Thank you for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys next time.